welcome to what we have decided to inaugurate as season three of the Idol Book Club. I am Chris Remo. I'm Sarah Argadale. And this month, January 2018, we are discussing Zadie Smith's N.W., uh, a, I would say, sprawling novel set in London and following four characters who lead intermingling and connected lives. Uh, this is a novel that we have both read before. Um, Sarah, do you want to explain the connection of this novel to the Idol Book Club, the strange history that this novel has? Uh, sure. Uh, I had when the Idol Book Club was not me when it was you and Sean. I had read this book on my own and suggested it as a good book to read for an idol book club episode and i think i even bought yes you a copy of it mm -hmm. uh and then it didn't get read for years and years <laughs> it and eventually years. got read and and now we're finally making a book club episode about it i have found books to be one of the i don't know if you have an opinion about this uh, I have found books to be one of the most difficult thing, one of the most difficult gifts, both as the person receiving them and as the person giving them, uh, because books, I feel, unlike a lot of things, require so much. I mean, a, you know, a, a full length novel requires a fair amount of commitment to read. Right. And I feel like giving someone a book can be sort of a weird curse because then that person is in this perpetual state of guilt of not reading it in a timely fashion. And the other person is like worried about same. Do you, do you find that to be true at all? Not really. Oh, really? Well, I, I'm more neurotic than you are probably. About that specifically. I think I understand what you're getting at. I mean, they're unlike recommending someone a, a film, which is at most going to take up maybe two to three hours of that person's life when you recommend somebody a book there's always that that danger that they might not enjoy it at all and and then feel like they've wasted their time on something i i understand that fear but this but not the fear about not reading some very kind place. person sending you a very <laughs> nice first edition copy of a what is a fantastic <laughs> novel and then not reading it for years and years i don't understand that Sorry. Um, well, there's a difference Just speaking between, generally. between the two of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's the fact that we chose to reread this book, I think sort of spoils whether we liked it or not. But let's talk about it anyway. Did you like this novel? I love this book. Yeah. Uh, I, when I first read it back in 2012, when it was published, it was the first Sadie Smith book that I had ever read. I, I came a little bit late to being aware of her as a novel novelist because obviously her career started much earlier than that uh, so nw was the first thing of hers that i've read since then I, i've read pretty much all of her fiction and it and i think nw remains m my favorite piece of writing that she has done even after going back and reading white teeth and on beauty and then more recently she published a book called swing time um, I haven't read The Autograph Man, which I think is her only other piece of fiction. Anyway, I think N.W. is excellent, and in rereading it, it only reinforced that opinion. I felt the same way. I So I, I mean, I, this is long-time listeners of this podcast will be familiar with what I'm about to say, but I've read less of this author than you have. I've read a lot of her essays and, and articles, but this is the only novel of hers that I've read. Nonetheless, I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, I really love it. I think it's a great encapsulation of all of her fiction writing, too. Mm. Even Swing Time, which comes after. It it has a lot of similar, and, and we'll talk about this more in the structure, but it, it, it matches a lot with White Teeth and On Beauty, um, but then goes into a lot of um, different structural realms and her, yeah. her first two books do uh but it maintains a lot of the same themes that she she focuses on in in her nonfiction as well which is identity is a major thing mm -hmm. um especially place right uh especially around racial identity uh so if you're gonna in my opinion if you're only gonna read one zadie smith book you can't really do wrong with this one yep 
So if you're a subscriber to this podcast, you've noticed this episode is pretty late. We were originally supposed to discuss it a few months ago, and uh, as sometimes happens, circumstances conspired to delay the recording and release of this episode until now. Uh, Something sort of fortunate, um, unplanned, but fortuitous was that in the intervening time between having reread the book and recording this now, we actually spent a couple weeks in London together over the holidays, which was great. I've spent a fair amount of time in London, Sarah, that was your um, second time there. Uh, And it was kind of fun to think about a lot of the neighborhoods that are discussed in the book, uh, many, most of which are real places, some of which we passed through, and some of which are fictional, but very much based on on real places. And while I don't necessarily think that, um, you know, a deep familiarity with London is fundamental to enjoying this book, this book is much more about, I think, the relationships of these characters and the circumstances of their lives. Um, I thought that was kind of a fun bit of context to be able to to have. Um, and actually, before we move on quickly, because I just mentioned the delay, I will quickly mention that our next book is of, of a very different sort. Our book that we're reading for February is the new translation of The Odyssey by Emily Wilson. So look forward to that in February. But for now, let's get on to the substance of this book. Um, I think the most striking thing about N.W., and uh, Sarah, you alluded to its structure and sort of formal um, properties uh, a moment ago, is how it is organized, which is into four, I guess, chapters, sections, four books, basically, uh, each of which deals with a different character um, that grew up in Northwest London in the same um council state, the same housing project. Uh, I, this is one of my favorite things about the book. I think it's extraordinarily skillful the way that Zadie Smith really deeply integrates the personality and kind of narrative arc of each character into the way each one of these books, these one of these sort of character sections is written. How how did, how did this strike you? Uh, I agree that it's a, a really great way to get across the interiority of the characters without having to say a lot. Although obviously she, she does then go on to say a lot about each of them. Um, But Leah, Felix and Natalie each have major sections Mm -hmm. with, with Natalie being um, the, the, I I would say the primary focus, the, and, and just, page wise even though she comes at, at the end of uh, Leah and Felix's story um so all three of them have m- big chunks of time devoted to their individual histories and experiences and in each of those have c- completely different m- modes of writing um something that i had vaguely remembered about this book uh, on my first read and then, you know, re-experienced it during this the second read through was that Leah's section which is what opens the novel is probably the most challenging um language-wise it's the the least realistic writing um the least kind of linear uh, more mm. likely to go off into yeah, sure. weird form that 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 just resembles um, stream of consciousness, and because it's what opens, it's your first introduction to the story. It, it can be a little bit. It's like pushing you away slightly. The you as the reader because it it's it's a little bit harder to then immerse yourself in because you're having to try to parse exactly what is happening and i i was realizing uh in just kind of skimming through the book before we recorded this podcast how great that is at letting you understand what leah herself is feeling mm-hmm. because as we find out through her story uh i mean every character is is having some kind of life crisis but leah herself is going through this very depressive moment of her life where she's struggling to make sense of a lot of things that have happened to her and i mean 
so is Natalie, but because they're very different people, they're dealing with that struggle in, in very different ways. And the way that Leah's struggle manifests itself is in this depressive state and that and she's very untethered from her existence and her relationship. I, I wrote down the word untethered as well when I right. was noting that, yeah. Uh, and, and that's just reflected in a lot of the, the passages that just have words thrown together that evoke feelings if they're not necessarily explaining to you precisely what is going on. And it's such a, I, I think, strong way to open not strong, confident way to open the book because again, it it is so removed uh, from the the reader, and you have to really, you as the reader, have to devote energy into understanding it. Um, so that's the the first section. I don't know if you have. Well, let's let's because we're throwing names around. Let's let's uh, sort of introduce the characters just to refresh uh, people's memories. So the the character you're describing, the first one. Uh, the first section is Leah Hanwell. Um, and then the other character you mentioned, Natalie Blake, uh, born Keisha Blake, they grow up as best friends and sort of essentially remain best friends throughout their lives as covered in the novel, even though that friendship is often strained and in some cases sort of borderline discarded. Um, and then the other main character to actually get sort of a proper section uh, is this character Felix, whose name I don't remember, his last name I don't remember, uh, Felix, let's see, Cooper, uh, who is sort of fair, depicted as a, as a fairly easygoing guy. And then there's also this character, Nathan Bogle, who I, I think I implied all four of these characters get a full book, and you implicitly corrected me, not so much. Nathan is kind of folded into the novel in the background most significantly in the fourth section that is still told from from Natalie's point of view but um very significantly involves involves Nathan so the the four characters are Leah, Natalie, Nathan and Felix and honestly for me Leah and Natalie really dominate the novel their their friendship looms large and i think sort of serves as the frame for the entire novel. Um, I, I almost, I kind of think of this novel as being about them, even though obviously Felix gets an entire section unto himself and the relationship between Leah and Natalie, I think is just, I think it's amazingly portrayed. I think it's incredibly convincing and complex and nuanced and really believable and relatable, I guess, to use a word that's sort of contentious and, uh, literary discussion these days, but I, but there's so many, even though the lives these characters live is so different from, you know, my own, like where I grew up and, and my own life. And in so many ways, there are, there are so many little things about the way that Leah and Natalie's friendship is both compassionate, but also sort of competitive and also at times, uh, resentful and passive aggressive, but, um, strong and ever present throughout felt so real and true to me. And it was, um, despite how formally, um, you know, varied this book is and, and how, uh, at, uh, I don't know I, I, how many different modes it goes through. I found that element, that relationship to be such a ground, a powerfully grounding, uh, dynamic that, that just, kept everything together really 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 tightly except in F felix's section yeah which w when you start <clears throat> reading it it's it's such a departure from <laughs> and you know the first time you read it and you have no idea mm -hmm. how this is going to connect to anything uh and and but on the other hand You've just spent, I don't know how many pages are devoted to Leah, uh, but you've just spent that amount of time with this, I would say, formally more challenging writing. And then all of a sudden, you're introduced to this Felix character who has not been mentioned by name up until that point. Uh, and his section, uh, I've seen it in reviews described as just this little novella that sits in the mm -hmm. middle of the rest of this story because it, it, it takes on um, just much more 
linear and easy to follow writing than than anything else that's present in the book. So even though as you're reading it for the first time, you don't yet understand why all of a sudden you're seeing things from this character's perspective, it certainly eases you into it a lot more because the writing is much more straightforward. Yeah, it's it's almost languid. It's easygoing in yeah, the way that much like Felix himself right. is, yeah. is. So again, it, be, it yeah. matches the yeah. the kind of it, the inner working of mm-hmm. the character, which is so. And and well, before I ask a question that I was just thinking of, we should also talk about Natalie's section, which, which my favorite by far. Yeah, I mean oh she God. she dominates the the book for sure again even though she is the last one who you are intimately introduced to but her her section uh much like natalie who is described as a very kind of fastidious person uh her section is divided up into clear little chunks that are all numbered and and are i think are all chronologically in order not in t- i don't believe entirely so okay. but, but, but for the broad, most part broadly but, but right. yeah it does jump around that, i think and and she's yeah. the only one who we really intimately know about from childhood to adulthood i mm-hmm. believe i mean the book really is about yeah it her. is more about her than anyone else for sure and again i love the fact that you don't i mean you see her through leah's perspective so you're given information about this character uh, and it it makes you form this one opinion of her that's very much uh clouded by leah's own perception of her and then you get to actually read about her from her what is her own perspective and it makes you completely rethink everything that had come before and 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 about leah too because you find out information from her about her from her her friend's view uh yeah the natalie section is great i mean i think again i think this whole book is great yeah i I think it's worth noting because we haven't mentioned at all yet race uh in this novel or as it pertains to these characters uh leah so all of these characters are working class they all grew up in um public housing uh but it's i think it's really notable that leah hanwell is white she's um irish english she's sort of anglo-irish and uh, Natalie Blake is black and, the, and so is Felix and so is Felix. Yes. Um, and, I mean, actually I think Leah describes herself as being, you know, one of the only white kids in her sort of immediate circumstances growing up. Um, and it, it really, the way that these characters interact with the world does feel really different and obviously not, solely because of race clearly i mean these are different characters with all different motivations and and reasons for being the way they are but it it it, it's hard for me not to feel like leah has just a little bit more freedom to kind of find herself or sort of delay um situating herself in the world in a way that natalie has never felt able to do probably i mean and the, the sense i get is because she feels probably correctly that she has more to prove um because of her place in this society and the way that that is evoked through as you say the sort of very ordered and methodical and goal-driven uh structure of natalie's section really speaks to the way that she understands the world um and i i found it I I just love that section. I find it so powerful and evocative. Um, And I, the, you get a, a, the, the way those two characters sort of find themselves is probably my favorite thing about the entire novel. There's a lot of reference to Natalie, not quite understanding who she is. She sort of, she has goals and um, compulsions and understandings of, of, what success means or what she needs to do to achieve success more than she ever fully comes to terms with who she fundamentally is at the core of her own being. And it leads to her feeling constantly seemingly unmoored from herself in a very different way than Leah does. Both of these women, I think throughout the novel struggle with identity and selfhood, um, but kind of in a different way in that Leah sort of 
is so insistent. She she's like des- feels like she has an idea of herself that is important to her, and she desperately wants the world to just let her be that thing and nothing in her life including her husband and her best friend and sort of just society seems to want to let her just sort of be this um, kind of unambitious and un- undirected person that she seems to want to be very comfortable doing. Whereas Keisha Blake has very, very specific goals and um, kind of targets for success, which she's in- incredibly adept at achieving but meanwhile, doesn't ever quite seem to understand who the the person underneath driving all that is. I think that Leah wants to reject identity, yeah. whereas Natalie is desperate to find yeah. an identity that will satisfy her. And, and neither of them are fundamentally able to achieve their goals and it, mm-hmm. it creates this kind of psychic pain that manifests manifests itself in in different ways for yeah, a good way of putting it. both of them and it's i i don't 100 percent know what to make of the fact that as you say leah is the i think the only major white character in the novel uh and and she has this kind of unambitious life um with her her husband who is uh, a black immigrant who a lot like natalie has this very ambitious yeah plan for himself to 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 take on this higher identity than what he he sees himself as starting at i love by the way the difference in what that ambition means i think for uh michelle right who is Mm -hmm. who is uh leah's husband and Natalie, I, I think it's really subtle and wonderful, which is that it really feels like Natalie comes from in the way that I, I think this is, you know, a reality of society in a lot of cases. Natalie comes from uh, the working class as already established mm-hmm. kind of in her country. And so she is sort of has this almost insecure like need to climb out of it, which she largely succeeds in doing. Uh, Michelle, on the other hand, as as a sort of as an intentional immigrant, has this feeling that he's almost like already on the way up and he just wants to figure out how to keep it going and and has the sort of optimism that comes along with that. But you never get the sense that Natalie is an optimistic person. She's just a driven person. Mm-hmm. And I, the the difference between how the experiences of these two ostensibly ambitious people is painted is, I think, really um it's just it's just another sort of brilliant bit of like how these characters are drawn. I just yeah, which is then in in con- contrast very much to the the Felix character um, who co- like everyone else comes from a, a similar kind of working class or, or maybe even below um, what we would consider working class, like in a very impoverished background and he seems to be the least complicated out of all of them as far as i mean he's he's certainly an a driven person who is not willing to just accept sure his lot right yeah. uh, but he doesn't seem to be as conflicted by that as well and i think the implication is he's come to that as he's aged mm-hmm. right i mean he takes he, he sort of ha- there's a he's mugged and he kind of takes it in stride. And as I recall, it, it, the implication is pretty strongly that as a younger man, he would, you know, he had a lot more. His I think ego he explicitly and a, says yeah, that. Yeah, right. Exactly. I couldn't I couldn't exactly remember. But my, my yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, it seems like he has settled into more of a comfort with himself and his ego and, and all of these sort of masculine things. And tragically, he's the the one who is killed. Yeah. Which towards the end of the book, I think kind of gets at a, a possible uh thesis where he he's been killed, Natalie and Leah are aware of this even though they don't know who he is 
personally, they've just mm-hmm. ambiently heard through the n- news that someone has been stabbed in, in their neighborhood. And Leah is having almost just a, a, a breakdown. Um, and she's, she says to Natalie something along the lines of, I don't understand why I have this life, why, why she, Leah, is a- was able to mostly succeed whereas people like felix Mm -hmm. and like the shark character who we haven't talked about yet but Mm -hmm. is this other person from northwest london uh who leah meets and becomes almost obsessed with as far as wanting to help save this woman um anyway so leah is having this moment of just why why am i here while these other people are not and Natalie, I love her reaction uh, where, where she says, oh, I thought this was going to be a hard question. And and her response to Leah is just, well, those people basically deserve what they got. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's not true. <laughs> I mean, one, no, fundamentally, because I, I believe that to be true, but I also don't think that the book agrees with that at all no no i no i don't think the book is claiming that that these people deserve what they get right but, but it's but you given the way that natalie has been drawn you understand she she almost has to have that right ability to sort of preserve her own selfhood uh, right. because she can't afford to have thoughts like that yeah because she would. i mean leah has sort of succeeded in having i think what we would a lot of people just consider a normal middle class life but uh but natalie has really really elevated herself into a, a higher stratum of six, sort of professional success. Um, I mean, she, she is, she and her husband clearly are upper middle class by, right. you know, by, um, by deep into the novel. And I, I, it, there's almost sort of a, just like that tragic cycle that is depicted where, you know, the people who ma- who do manage to reach that level of success, it can be difficult to separate your, you know, the factors that, allowed you to reach that from like intrinsic ability that other people don't have or, or what have you. And yeah, I think one of the great strengths of this book is how much of that whole cycle of society it depicts without ever, I don't think feeling very preachy about it. No, this book is very straightforwardly honest about a lot of these issues. And and I have to assume Zadie Smith that herself has been just in, in reading interviews with her pretty honest and um, forthcoming with similar problems of, of uh, not problems, but qu- questions of conflict uh, around growing up in, cause Zadie Smith herself is also from Northwest London yeah. um, and grew up in roughly similar circumstances and has since gone on to be probably the most successful writer of her generation. Is that true? I don't know. Well, okay. One of the most successful, right. Uh, And, and what that means. And I, I mean, like I was saying before, this is just a a question that permeates all of her writing. Um, And so it's not surprising to me that she's able to, to come at it in this really smart, really emotionally sincere way but not necessarily provide any kind of conclusive answer to all these problems yeah uh, because the book it just kind of ends (laughs) there's no conclusion to it it's just it it feels almost like uh there's a moment where when leah is asking her question about why 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 me and not these other people and then they rush right past it and immediately go to fingering their former classmate for Felix's murder and I I think the implication there is just this all will they haven't learned anything necessarily about these identity crises that they've been having because they're finding a new thing to distract them from these tough questions that have been plaguing them and they're putting all of their at the end of the book they put 
all of the, the, the problems that have come up for them onto this other character who already, I mean, of the, the four of them, Nathan for sure is a, a super tragic figure maybe the most tragic even i mean obviously felix gets murdered so by all, by all these problems i guess you're sort of obliquely alluding to in the case of leah and natalie leah kind of hiding her uh, ongoing attempts to suppress pregnancy mm-hmm. and natalie's from uh, her husband you mean from her husband right and natalie's um falling out with her husband over her uh, almost kind of desperate seeking out of online of sex through mm-hmm. online kind of hookups. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't figure out if I agree with you about the ending because I can't figure out how I feel about the ending. Um, I think it's my least favorite element of this book. Um, be, it, it sort of turns out the, so one of the things I love about this novel that I think makes it a really interesting and compelling read is how frequently Zadie Smith doesn't just tell you what's going on. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, as you said, this starts in the first section, Leah's section, where often there will be oblique references to things and it's not quite clear what she's referring to, or you'll get scraps of things out of chronological order and you have to kind of piece them together. But really, I would say that continues really throughout the novel, maybe, maybe least of all in uh, in Felix's section, but but still throughout the book, I think that is a common tool that she uses is, is really forcing the reader to put together information that they have to create the sequence of events. And then in doing so, I think it it makes a lot of moments punch harder because you can only get there by by assembling um, these fragments yourself. And in doing so, you've had to think about them a lot more. Um, the ending feels like that to me, except that I except that it felt so totally um out of character with the rest of the novel like it's it felt like a one a sort of implausibly high level of coincidence or convergence uh and then two it felt like the solution to a murder mystery that i didn't realize was ever happened like you know happening um and i'm not claiming here that i'm right and that the ending is bad or anything but it 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 to, to my you know possibly ignorant uh mind it was it did not work as well as a lot of other similar constructions throughout the book it felt it i guess it just didn't feel like it got the time that it needed for something that uh significant to be contextualized and to settle in it felt like suddenly you get this like piece of information that i think when i the first time I read the ending, I didn't even quite understand what was being revealed to me. I really had to figure it out. And then once I did, it didn't necessarily illuminate the characters for me in the way that a lot of the other times you have to do that in the book did. And maybe that's the point. I mean, it's a totally pointless and I unnecessary think that, that act. that is what but, the, the point is. I mean, yeah. it, it matches. I, I still don't know if that works for me, but it, but well, yeah, it, it matches it, what you were saying before about how she doesn't spell things out for you. So you totally, do have to, yeah. to go back and, and reread it to even understand that they're implicating yeah. Nathan. I mean, I think the first time I read it, I, I felt similarly to, to what you've described, but and and going back and and rereading this book a couple of times now, uh, I I had forgotten how frequently Nathan pops up throughout the the story. You mean as just like alluded to or referred to, yeah, well, or just directly? I mean, he uh, mm. Leah and Natalie also just run into him in that in their old neighborhood a, a few times, and and, and Natalie. You know, she That's right. she has an elongated uh, conversation with him that takes place right after Felix's murder. But but even before that, she sees him just hanging around the neighborhood. So he's he's there. He's definitely a presence throughout the whole thing. And to me, that makes it feel less out of, out of left field that he does end up. Uh, in this position uh, at the conclusion of the novel, just because he's been kind of seated 
throughout and and every time he uh, appears it's always he is the only character except for the the husbands uh of leah and natalie who we don't really ever get to know anything right. about we from his really own into everyone head. puts their own projection onto him true, yeah. and so the ending is just another larger example of that which is why it it fits a little bit better for me in in rereading it i mean i don't think this i don't think we are well i was gonna say i don't think we're we're meant to believe that he actually killed felix but oh, i'm really i'm gonna immediately rescind that and just say i don't think we are meant to know one way or mm, another it's interesting it never occurred to me to question it I, which is maybe a fault of mine uh i i could be wrong but i I choose to believe yeah, that no, we're, we're not meant to know because then it, it, it matches more with my interpretation of him just, again, being this cipher for mm-hmm. all of the characters, even yeah. Felix in, in, a, in a way, yeah, if, if which, he was one of the murderers. Yeah, which, I mean, is fair enough. I mean, that's, you know, I think, sadly, often how black men are, especially poor black men, are treated in society. society. Yeah. yeah, I think it's not accidental that the black men of the novel have way more misfortune than the two women uh, i mean felix ends up being killed and then nathan's life is this tragic yeah. series of events uh and and i th- i think that just unfortunately you're right m- mirrors more mirrors our reality i mean obviously leah as a a white person has the ability to escape a lot of this more so than anyone else who is in the novel and then natalie as well uh speaking of felix and and how you know i think black men are are often sort of treated by or in this case fetishized by the culture the way that he's introduced is by way of his meeting with this um i guess kind of just middle class white guy this sort of slightly oblivious guy who he's meeting up to um buy a car from i think that comes later i think he oh really he, oh, he goes and he visits his father first oh okay i forgot which order that came from in any case yeah that's that's one of the ways we get to know uh felix and the way that that character you can just so palpably feel this sort of thrill that this that this dopey white guy has in like palling around mm-hmm. with with Felix and and sort of you know like you he, you could just tell he just like kind of wants to be his friend sort of and he doesn't quite know exactly how to act and it's it's hilarious i mean i think the book it's intentionally comedic but it's also really sort of absurd and sad yeah um the way that these characters are are put into each other's lives in that way um yeah, man, I, I I love this book. I think this book is great. I I'm still up in the air on the ending, but um, you know, given given how fantastic I think the rest of it is, I um, you know, it it hardly detracts mm-hmm. from my from my overall enjoyment. You should re- reread it a third time. I probably should. How. Yeah, I probably should. Speaking of rereading it, I mean, and I another reason why this episode was so delayed is because even though. I was the one who suggested we even reread this book for the podcast. I had such a hard time getting myself excited about starting it just because Mm. uh, I knew that I had already read it and it felt like potentially a waste of time when I I could be reading something that I hadn't read at all before. And and so it felt like a chore to to finally open this book to start reading it and then after the first page i was already bought in yeah. to it and i was very mad at myself for <laughs> yeah. how long i delayed and delayed and how easy it was to just immediately get back mm-hmm. into it and even skimming through it a little bit uh just before just we started recording yeah. i could Especially Natalie's sections, which yep, oh my god, they're be- so good. Well, because they're these little bite-sized chunks oh, you specifically. Can just blast it. Yeah. yeah, it really makes you feel smart because you're. Yeah, I I enjoyed myself from the beginning on the reread, but then god, I tell you, as soon as I got to Natalie's section, I it was it was like little 
explosions going off in my brain. I'm just like, oh my God, I love this character so much. And I love the way she's portrayed. And I love the particularly the childhood through adolescence Mm -hmm. of Leah and Natalie, because they're one, their bond from a young age is so beautiful in the way that children can just kind of decide like we're best friends and then it and it's true like it actually be- means it in a way well, that I, I like an adult that could not do that uh, kesha slash natalie saved uh leah's life yeah, yeah. that's and how that's they like this thing that is very important to them and yeah. and also she saved her life by pulling on her red pigtails which mm-hmm. is such a i i don't know i i really like that that image of yeah. Two little girls and one of them, like this little black girl, is just pulling on these red pigtails to to save this other little white girl who is drowning in a pool. Yeah, it's clearly an intentional yeah. that imagery is very intentionally yeah. chosen. Yeah. Um and then the because you because their childhood bond is so powerful and and I guess sort of seductive to the reader as much as it is to them, it 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 is all the more effective and heartbreaking but also completely believable and real when they grow apart in their adolescence um there's one quote that i that i wanted to read from page 216 of the of the hardbound edition that i thought was so indicative of of the way this works which is there has been an attempt over the summer to mix that camden lock lot with this caldwell lot but keisha did not especially care for bottle air or nick drake or sonic youth or joy division or boys who looked like girls or vice versa or Anne rice or william burroughs or kafka's metamorphosis or cnd or glastonbury or the situationists or breathless or samuel beckett or andy warhol or a million other Camden things, and when Keisha brought a wondrous money love seven inch to play on Leah's hi-fi, there was something awful in the way Leah blushed and conceded it was probably okay to dance to. They had only Prince left, and he was wearing thin. Ah, that's amazing. There's another really good moment uh, that happens before that that also gets at the the fundamental differences that will plague these two as mm-hmm. they get older, which happens on page 205 in natalie's section and it's very close to what i just read right uh and this is just the the little subsection is just called some answers and then it's a list oh i love this of keisha blake's answers and leah hanwell's answers and we never actually get to find out what the questions being asked are pretty clear in most cases Right, and and it just they just reveal things that are that they they both sh- fundamentally share and fundamentally cannot understand about each other, and I think it's so smart. And I'm not going to bother reading through it because it it's hard to read because it's right. Cause it, opposing, it's not opposing lists quotable, but it, it's so it's so smart and funny. I mean, this book is is funny for yeah. I mean, I'm going to note a couple of those because they're they're so funny. I wrote that page down as well. I love it. I mean, the the, the music stuff in line with, w- with the quote I read is reflected there, but there are also things uh, that I think speak to a lot of the differences between them that we've alluded to. In the answer to one from Keisha Blake is rather have the money, and for Leah Hanwell is be really famous. And you can understand what the question is, and it is so perfect for those two characters. And then the, and then after after that, you get from Keisha, nobody. If I had to, Raheem. And then from Leah, you get top secret Nathan Bogle, which is clearly there's a there's a romantic question there, and Keisha's like actual answer being nobody, and then if forced to, she has an answer. Whereas Leah, her willing prefix of top secret nathan bogle just reveals the kind of like schoolgirl preoccupation that she i mean it's just it's so brilliant the way these characters are portrayed with such tiny tiny bits of text there can we talk about mothers really quickly too sure uh it's a it's a smaller part of the novel for sure but Zadie smith uh, has painfully i think piercing insight into uh motherhood specifically a, a daughter's relationship with 
her mother, uh, I think it mostly goes unexplored between Natalie and her children. We get a little... Yeah, she seems to be not... Attached as yeah, much. She, yeah. Uh, but with Leah and Natalie and their relationships with their mothers, there there is often um, a lot of little insights that we glean that... Uh, it's not the focus of the book, but but anytime it it pops up, it ap- absolutely destroys me. I mean, I think one of my favorite quotes from the book entirely, and I didn't note the page, is mothers are urgently trying to tell something to their daughters, and this urgency is precisely what repels their daughters, mm-hmm. forcing them to turn away. Which just I it it's two yeah. s- two sentence or one sentence even, and it's so smart and insightful. Um, and there's another little section. I mean, I think one of the things that's so brilliant about that passage is that it sums up both, I think, fairly effectively and concisely, the interpersonal kind of generational um, bond and divide, but also, I think, something a lot bigger that speaks to these larger social cycles that are kind mm-hmm. of repeated and perpetuated. Right. Motherhood is history, yeah, kind of. yeah. There's another one that is a little bit longer that I want to read that I also think is just really brilliant. Um, This is in Leah's section. It starts on page 19. No matter where Leah attempts to begin, Pauline returns to this point. The whole story gets run through, from Dublin to Kilburn, a rare prod on the wing, back when most were of the other persuasion. Heading for the wards, though, like the rest of the girls flirted with the O'Rourke boys, the Brickies, but wanted better, being so auburn and fine-featured and already a midwife, waited too long, nested at twilight with a quiet widower, an Englishman who didn't drink. The O'Rourkes ended up builder's merchants with half of Kilburn High Road in their pockets, for which she would have put up with a bit of drink. Thank God she retrained radiography. Where would she be otherwise? This story, once rationed, offered a few times a year, now bursts through every phone call, including this one, which has nothing at all to do with Pauline. Time is compressing for the mother. She has a short distance left to go. She means to squeeze the pass into a thing small enough to take with her. It's the daughter's job to listen. She's no good at it. Yeah. It's, I mean, you learn so much about Leah and her relationship with her mother in that small paragraph, but it also yeah. it is so relevant to I think any daughter's I mean, relationship with her mother. I'm going to say that really says a lot about my relationship with my mother, and I'm not a daughter. But the the way that the the way that the mother's sort of desperate and increasingly urgent uh, attempts to compress this sort of historical almost parable into something that will be meaningful to her child is definitely mm-hmm. something and, and the child's kind of difficulty in like receiving this mm-hmm. uh, is because definitely the ex- something I experience to. is so i mean the so the mother has this pass of being irish and being a protestant irish woman and yeah. and marrying this englishman and having this le- this whole existence that's so different from what Leah's existence is and we and i think that possibly explains natalie's own seeming disinterest in her children because their existence is so different from what her own yeah. childhood was mm-hmm. like and it's just this again this inability for people to communicate with each other until it's too late and the other person is just not going to be receptive to that communication and it's sad and it's beautiful and it's just what life is actually like well why don't we leave it there (laughs) all right well thank you for joining us for this edition of the idle book club i hope you enjoyed nw by zadie smith and i hope you enjoyed our discussion of it Uh, as i briefly mentioned earlier in the episode we will be back with uh, The Odyssey, a classic epic poem by Homer as translated by Emily Wilson. This is definitely out of character for the Idol Book Club. Um, I don't think we've read, we certainly never read a something from the classics before, uh, but I think it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you proposed uh, doing this, Sarah. 
Am I remembering that correctly? No, you actually suggested it. Did I really? It. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so unusual and uncommon. Good for me. But but I've started reading it. <laughs> you have started reading it and you're in, you're you're really enjoying it so far. In fact, I think you should talk about that because one of, I think, a concern we've both had about doing this novel is that it will be inaccessible mm-hmm. and kind of a slog or boring, but it does not seem to be your experience. No, I think that, and, and we will for sure. Sh- definitely talk about it when we actually record that episode but emily wilson's translation lends itself really well to quickly reading through the the book and i i don't mean that in a in a bad way the 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 story really rolls along at a, a fun and exciting pace i don't think for the episode it's a requirement that people have read the wilson translation because i'm sure a lot of people have read other translations of the odyssey but it's an in, I think it's an interesting one and um, not at all daunting or boring. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's moving moving through it really quickly and I'm enjoying it a lot and I'm excited to talk about it. Plus, it is the first uh, published translation of the Odyssey by a woman, which I think is one of the certainly not. Um, the most important thing about it, obviously, Emily Wilson has her own entire kind of credentials for doing this book beyond that. But it is, I think, has led to, in the current moment, some of the attention that this release has been getting that maybe would not be typical of a new translation of a work of classic epic poetry. Uh, but um, she, one of the things that made me interested in reading is that she apparently took a fairly modern uh, outlook in the translation that probably is aiding your Mm-hmm. Uh, quick read through so don't be daunted pick up the odyssey from your bookstore or library as translated by emily wilson and we will discuss it next month thank you for joining us on the Idle book club if you would like to get in touch with us you can do so by sending an email to books at idlethumbs.net our website is idlebookclub.com and there you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes or uh, if you search for it on any of your favorite podcasting apps we are there and that's about it i guess for idle thumbs i am chris remo i'm sarah argadel thank you for listening we'll be back next month Bye.